best time of the week, in my opinion, a new episode of Animation Celery. Best conversations about best cartoons. Crashing through the sky comes a fearful cry. Micah, 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 Micah. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of the hosts. And Natsy, the other one. This is a podcast about cartoons. We give each other ones to watch, usually by surprise, and then we come back and recap and discuss them and review them. And this time was my choice, and I wanted to watch a bunch of Adventure Time, which combined to tell the story of the Earl of Lemongrab. Amazing. But first, let's find out what stuff, usually cartoon-related, we've been doing during the rest of this week. Starting with Micah. Go ahead. Okay. Um... I had that coworker recommend a cartoon to me a while ago, and I, I got around to watching it. Um, yeah. It's Maya and the Three. Uh, Ooh, that name sounds familiar, but I'm not sure what it is. Probably have seen it uh, scrolling through Netflix or had it recommended to you or something. So what it is, is it is an adventure story set to Mesoamerican myth. Mm. So, you know, Aztec, Maya, and that kind of thing. Right. So the main character, Maya, she's a princess um, of a kingdom called Tekka, and she would really like to be a warrior, but it seems that her destiny is to inherit her mother's uh, diplomatic role. Ah. So she's being coronated for it, and on the day, an emissary from the gods shows up demanding that she come with him as sacrifice. Ooh. Yes, and they figure... Heck with that. So they, her father and brothers go off to war against the gods. But huh. uh, that goes as well as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, so she refigures uh, that she's a figure of prophecy, that what she actually has to do is go to three of the other kingdoms and assemble their greatest wizard, greatest archer and greatest warrior uh, for her to lead and go as a group to fight the gods. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is computer animated. Um, now, I started watching the first episode and I was thinking, man, I am not going to make it through this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it comes in pretty obnoxious. Uh, All right. Lots of, you know, stale jokes, but coming at you in that style that really bothers me, right? Where you just don't have a moment to breathe. You know, here's another stupid joke and here's a guy screaming and there's another weirdo, right? Hmm. Uh, but I figured in order to like talk about this, I have to watch the full thing. The full first episode, at least. And I was glad yeah. I did. This thing gets better as you watch. It's one of those cases where uh, <laughs> when they tell you, you know, get through the first 20 episodes and then it gets good. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. once after they've established the setting and you know what the kind of mood is and you get to see other the main cast you get to see the heroes then it starts getting pretty good and actually what this reminded me of uh remember a while ago i watched and reviewed a chinese movie called neja about a chinese god yes and that movie started the same way where it's just like, I don't know if I'm going to continue this. I'm Maybe I'm going to jump ship on this. And then it gets mm. good. Same kind of thing. Um, so one of the things, uh, the art style 
mm, we'll say that characters that are not all that dignified will have uh, these really tubular lips. And I don't mean just that they're big lips. I just, I mean, that they're like a circuit around their mouth, you know? Uh, okay. And, and weird noses, weird noses galore. So a <laughs> lot of like, you know, chubby noses with front facing nostrils. Okay, so yeah. it's kind of like a lot of the characters in this are from an Ardman animation or the uh, Raving Rabbids video games from Ubisoft. <laughs> um, right, right. But those noses go a step further. Like there are people with noses that have crazy bends. So it's like it goes forward, it goes to the right, goes up and then goes right again. And then you get us forward facing nostrils. Well, but, uh, weird. Well, okay, okay. But a step further, there's like a powerful wizardess character. And her nose is just freaking out of control. Like, <laughs> like there are Ren and Stimpy background drawers that are like, no, man, no. <laughs> Raven walked in as I was watching the last 12 minutes of it. And she was she got fascinated, like, oh, this is interesting. And then she saw that wizard lady in her nose. And, you know, there was a remark about like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> and I, I love that they work her nose into a lot of her action, too. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I think at some point she uppercuts someone with her nose. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm making it you're sound like a good thing. Me, yeah. You're reminding me, just on a little tangent, a few episodes ago I mentioned a YouTube channel called Bird. Oh, yes. Um, and all his character, the characters are just little birds, right? Yeah, yeah. So he has one character that recurs sometimes where it's this bird except he's drawn the nose like all crooked and weird and zigzagged oh. and then he's just like stuck a stop stock image of a mop head on his head oh okay and he says that he's owen wilson oh <laughs> um, <My> crazy nose <laughs> yeah well <laughs> Owen Wilson ain't got nothing on Maya and the three. <laughs> now, th the main characters don't have those weird noses. Um, okay. And like I said, this thing takes off when the party is assembled. It's, you know, one of those heroes journeys where they, not as the cliche, but as literal heroes journey where they pick up all their, uh, all their allies. Um, and how long does that take? Like, is it the first episode that she's getting the party together? And then from there, the party's together and they do stuff? Or is like, is the the assembly of the party take a few episodes? Uh, I think they each get their own episode. So I think like she gets hmm. the wizard in episode two and the archer in three and the, the warrior okay. in four. Um, now, this is the same co-worker that recommended I check out the Legend of Vox Machina that... Uh -huh. uh, um, animated version of Critical Role's Dungeons & Dragons game. Mm -hmm. But this is a way more fulfilling Dungeons & Dragons party. You know, between between their combats, but also moments where you see them, like there's, there's a particular one point, there's a montage of their traveling and how they handle things, you know, just like a quick thing where it's like, oh, the, the strong guy carries them all and this other instance, he uses magic and whatever. It's kind of nice. Um, now, they face a lot of enemy gods, that are introduced just like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh yeah. That, that movie. So like what they'll do is they'll introduce a God and then he'll appear on a special graphic screen that has his name and the domain of his powers. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's got kind of like a high energy pep to it. Um, visually, it's kind of funny. They, they, 
they all have magical weapons. So there's a lot of glowing going on. And as a consequence, it kind of looks like Tron sometimes. Okay, yeah. But it also is like uh, incredibly based on uh, Mesoamerican uh, artwork of the time, right? right? Right. Which I never really am sure about. Like, I'm never really am sure if they envisioned it to look exactly like their artwork, you know? Yeah. Like to the point where gods have a lot of stone carving aspects to their bodies, you know? Oh, yeah. Although as a consequence, sometimes it really makes you think of uh, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> they got yeah. so many stone ridges and stuff, and some of them are giants that are like, climbing on them. Um, one of the good things in this is it's got asymmetrical combat. And what I mean... Uh-huh. What I mean is it would be easy to say like, okay, so uh, it's archer versus archer. It's wizard versus wizard. You know, this is my partner. This is your partner. But no, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, you know, that I'm fighting this. And then a shot comes from over there to help me, you know, or he, you know. Yeah. Teen Titans uh, did that a lot, too. That made it really good. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. So I like it. Like I said, just get past the first 20 minutes. That's not a big ask. It's not like 20 episodes. Um, no, that's that dis, disenchantment was the same way. Yeah. It was like that first episode was like, ew. And then the second episode, <laughs> was like, all right, I'm into this. Yeah, it's probably not even 20 minutes. I don't know. I don't know what the uh, runtime, if they're traditional runtimes each episode. Because yeah. um, yeah. it's for streaming. Oh, yeah. One right. of the other weird visual things is that it's artificially letterboxed. So it means that there's like a 3D effect where sometimes, you know, like the person will stick out their weapon and it'll be over the letterbox, that kind of thing. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but it's not not as loud as Samurai Jack. Like the first time I noticed it, I had to wait and confirm that's what I saw, you know. Mm. Um, as you might imagine, they've cast uh, as many Mexican and Caribbean celebrities as possible in the roles. Right. So... Uh, Zoe Saldana, apparently Saldana, not Saldana. Her real name is apparently with the accent on the end um, from from uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And she's a horror in the Star Trek reboot. Mm. Uh, she's got the titular role, Maya. Alfred Molina uh, is Mictlan, the god of war. Okay. Uh, Diego Luna, people may remember from uh, uh, Star Wars Rogue. Squadron? No. What was it called? Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah. Rogue One. Um, he plays the son of the God of Bats. Mm-hmm. But best of all, Stephanie Beatrice, um, she's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, hmm. plays Chimi the Archer. She is great. Hmm. Like, she had the best laughs in this thing because they catch by surprise, but she also has to do like... She has to be dramatic and she also has to act like an animal sometimes too. And yeah. she's, she's great. Like I, I didn't look up if she'd done other voice acting, but man, I'd be down for it if she did. Huh? Oh, and importantly, D Bradley Baker plays a large Jaguar in there. So <laughs> <laughs> the 20th, the 21st century's Frank Welker. Yeah. So I thought <laughs> if any of you need that kind of thing <laughs> in a production, he's there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cool. Anyway, I say it's it's pretty good. I say check it out, especially hmm. right. especially if you like that kind of you want it, you want an action adventure story. Leave leave Vox Machina in the background and, and 
choose Maya and the three. All right, I will. Hmm. In other news, I just started a anime series called Thermai Romai Nohai. Did I do that right? Thermai Thermai Romai. So it's like uh, A-E, the endings. Maybe I'm not pronouncing it great. Um, okay. Thermai Romai. So it's about second century Rome, and there's a bathhouse architect, Lucius. Okay. Now, he happens, in some instances, to travel across time and space to modern-day Japan bathhouses. <laughs> and I... Anyway, he the funny thing is, he doesn't realize that he's time-traveled, at least not okay. in the early going. Um, and why would he, being a, like a second-century man, right? <laughs> what, what he thinks... He thinks he's in a separate bathhouse for flat-faced slaves. Oh, boy. His inner monologue, not mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, at any rate, he's like astounded. Like, wow, these slaves are so civilized. I thought when I got the premise that they wouldn't, he wouldn't see modern day technology and the like. But no, he totally does, right? Hmm. It's so great when he's like, the first thing he's drawn to, he sees a, a plastic uh, pail. And is wondering like, how did they get this yellow, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I would say that like, that it influences him, but no, 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 no. He doesn't, this stuff just, just doesn't influence him. He straight up recreates it the best he can in ancient Rome, right? <laughs> so, like, there's a painting of uh, Mount Fuji that he just recreates as Mount Vesuvius. Hmm. It's pretty fun. I like it. And it visually is a little wacky, too. Yeah. In, in that there's, like, you know, like a lot of modern cartoons um, will have, like, computer-controlled effects, sometimes looking kind of weird, like, uh -huh. you know, like putting patterns on clothing, for example. Right. Yeah, there's a certain kind of grubbiness on all the animated characters, right? On their flesh, on their togas, everything. Hmm, nice. Yeah, I, like, I like anime that looks unique. Yes, and one thing that's not unique is it seems to be from this new breed of tourism-funded anime. Like... Uh, like Yuru Camp, Lazy Camp that I looked at before, where... Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, they've got like, I don't know, 15 to 18 minutes of animation, and then the rest is live action stuff about, you know, this, about where you can camp around Mount Fuji, or, <laughs> or you know, this is the delicious food at this tourist spot. Um, in this case, it's the mangaka, the woman who made this story, going around to different bathhouses and learning about them. <laughs> so... It's 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 a weird era, but I guess however these things get made, wherever their funding comes from, good because I get to see this wacky, <laughs> this wacky bathhouse time travel story. <laughs> Neat. Yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, no, um, right. yeah, we're gonna do an ad spot here for our, our longtime sponsor, Gapples Goo. Oh yeah. Now you know. In our everyday lives, it can be hard to get a full serving of vegetables. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there are health shakes, but not all of them are tasty, and many are way too liquid, not enough goo. Oh, man, that's a problem I face every day. Yeah, well, that's where Geppel's Greens comes in. Oh! Yes, brilliant scientist from the planet Primus and the future, Geppel has adapted his goo as a delivery system for all your daily necessary vitamins and minerals. 
Huh. I'm just going to prepare a one shake, one gooey, gooey shake. <laughs> All oh, right. That is gooey. Uh, and I'm going to drink it. All right. Why not? Yep. I'm, uh, I'm going to drink this. Yeah, it's delicious. <sighs> okay. Uh-oh. It didn't, like, seal your mouth shut so villains can't get in, did it? Oh, yeah, yeah, but... Oh, just chase it with a delicious aftershake of Geppel's solvent. Right, yeah. Use the code Ansel to get a dis... Whoa, a discount? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what news do you have, Batsy? Hmm. Gee, you don't sound in great health. Um, but I need to talk about Bob's Burgers. <laughs> need more solvent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so we've talked a lot about Bob's Burgers in the last few weeks, um, but the opportunity presented itself for me to watch the Bob's Burgers movie. <laughs> and so I did that. And I'm here to give you my thoughts. Now, I'm not going to give a blow-by-blow blow recap of the whole thing, but I'll give you the premise, the setup. Yeah. All right? So, it opens with shadows of figures at the Wonder Wharf amusement park struggling. You know, shadowy struggle, and then a gunshot. Huh. That was six years ago. Oh. In the present day, the Belcher family all have their problems. It's summer is approaching, you see, and Tina is nervous about asking her crush Jimmy Jr. to be her summer boyfriend. Gene is feeling insecure about his musical abilities because they have to make some attempt to make him seem relatable to a real human. But not poop. What? Well, no, actually, his um, huh. his concerns do not. Uh, his concerns, A, don't center around poop and B, are not important to the movie at all. Okay. Um, it's really just to give him something to do. So everybody has a problem. Okay. Uh, Louise. Now, L Louise got called a baby by a kid at school, mm. which really st like struck a chord with her. And, you know, she, obviously she's aggressive about it because she has recently been feeling like the pink bunny ears hat that she's worn 24 seven since preschool. Except oh, for the yeah. episode of the show. I've, I've read this is his, its origin story. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's starting to feel like it might be time to stop wearing them. Huh. And she's struggling with this thought versus her kind of dependence on wearing them. Hmm. Now, the parents, Bob and Linda, have a more tangible problem, which is that they need to make a loan payment to the bank within a week or their restaurant equipment is going to get repossessed. Hmm. Now, paying that much money is a tall order for them at the best of times, but it gets even worse when a sinkhole opens up directly in front of their restaurant so customers can't get in. Huh. So, uh, they 
obviously they need to make money without customers being able to get into the restaurant. Their only hope is for their eccentric landlord, Mr. Fish Odor, to let them pay this month's rent late. But before he can give them an answer, he's arrested for murder. So while Bob and Linda try to figure out how to sell hamburgers without a restaurant, Louise, who had a previous episode of the show, uh, set up the fact that she actually has really good lawyer instincts. And she thinks that Calvin Fishoder is innocent. So she hijacks her three siblings on a quest to clear Mr. Fishoder's name. And mm. that's what the movie is. So it's mostly the kids then, yeah? Uh, you know, in recent years, this is something that the show has done a lot, too. It's kind of like they realize that the kids are the interesting characters because they have quirks. And the parents are just kind of there. And so a lot of episodes will be the kids doing something while the parents deal with a really minor side plot at the restaurant. Okay. So a lot of this is the kids. Now, the they gave the parents stuff to do, too. Like yeah. they, they actually have a thing that they're because they have to sell burgers. And it's actually handyman Teddy who comes up with a solution. He's mm. in there, too, as one of the core plot uh, cast members. Yeah. So, yeah, they're doing their thing. The kids are doing their thing. And it all comes together. So, here's the question. You've never liked Boggs Burgers. That's right. I liked it, but have found my taste for it waning in recent years as the cracks have become more and more apparent. Mm -hmm. So, what do we think of this movie? Well, I, mm -hmm. I actually really like it. Whoa. I think it's some of the I haven't seen the last season of the show. Yeah. So let's asterisk that. But with that in mind, this is some of the best Bob's Burgers I've seen in years. It's it's better than the Simpsons movie for what shallow praise that might be. Huh. Your summary sounds just like an elongated episode. Elongated is a key word here, beca here because this movie is an hour and 40 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that that can be cut into five episodes of, say, a syndicated TV show is not lost on me. OK, but um, but that and it does drag a little bit like there was a point um, where the plot kind of came to a bit of a climax, you know, like the murder kind of revealed itself like like, oh, this is, you know, the the big reveal of who done it and all that stuff. And I looked at the time and went, wow, there's that much time left. And they're at this point in the plot. So it does seem a little long as it gets towards the end. Um, but I I was engaged in it. There were some there were a few jokes that actually made me laugh. Uh, there's hmm. there was a previous episode of the show. Tina, she's a very quirky character in the way that she does things like she. I love how she when she runs, she just holds her arms straight at her sides instead of swinging them. Right. Um, and there was a previous episode where she had to hide under a bed. And so she did this by just like going rigid, flopping backwards on the ground and just rolling under the bed. Yeah. Well, she tried to do that in this movie, except there was no under the bed. And so she just bumped into it. Yeah. <laughs> and that actually made me laugh. Mm. Um, it's animated nicely. Like they put more e effort into the animation than the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like like a Simpsons movie or a DuckTales movie did. Um no, so, not so much know, the DuckTales, but yeah, okay. Well, 
So depending on what you think of the character designs, it looks really good. Uh There's a scene where Louise is in the sinkhole. And I was like, man, this is animated so well with the mud and stuff. It's just like her foot's getting stuck and she's slipping and other things are happening. And I was like, this is this looks really cool. Hmm. Um, Now, the other question that's on everyone's mind. How many instances of poop and farts? I'm sorry I gave away the uh, (laughs) gave away the accent, dear. No, no, no. You it's a it's a perfectly valid question to ask. Yeah. So I got out a piece of paper and I made some notes. Hmm. Poop. It actually took quite a while for the word poop to come up. Diarrhea was said three times early on. Oh, there's three instances of diarrhea, two instances of actually, I think three instances of poo, although one of them is like, a oh, poo. Okay. And only two instances of the word poop. You know, on family family feud, hmm? diarrhea would still come up. Show me diarrhea and it would flip and go poop. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, Asterisk there. There is a nautical themed area. And in the background, there's a sign that says poop deck for what that's worth. Uh. Fart. (laughs) Believe it or not, only two. And I think they're both in like the last 20 minutes. Oh, that's just fan service. This. Yeah. Yeah. Gene had to fart at some point. Hmm. And he did. Hmm. Um. And 12 instances of I mean, (laughs) which and that's only what I caught, because the fact is that I was so engaged in it that I tried to count as best I could. But it's possible that there's some that got through without me noticing. Um, let me see. I made a couple of other notes here. Um, (laughs) there's there was a really funny, I thought, instance of uh, the guy who was murdered was Cotton Candy Dan. Okay. and. I thought it was funny when they said the name Cotton Candy Dan on the news and Linda goes, oh, Cotton Candy Dan, didn't he sell corn dogs? That's a funny joke. Yeah, that is funny. I liked there's a climactic sequence at the end where Bob has to climb over a bunch of metal scaffolding and railings and stuff. And they didn't do it the way that something else like this would do, where all of a sudden the guy becomes a hero and he's like courageously jumping and, cl- and like grabbing things and hanging and pulling himself up and stuff. OK, I butchered that. But I had, but no. Yeah. No. In this, like he's just like old, out of shape guy who's like very slowly just crawling over these metal things like he can't do it. Like he's barely huh. making any progress. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't cheapen it by having him you know all of a sudden his adrenaline kicked in and he became a hero he's like no he legitimately can't do this <laughs> that reminds me of uh there's like a hawkeye disney plus series uh-huh there's a point in that where he gets stuck in a christmas tree like a giant one <laughs> 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 it's like, how do we get down i don't know <laughs> that's pretty yeah. funny um i there's a so part of uh tina's crisis is the fad in school is for girls to give boys something that's important to them on a chain. Like, okay. As they're, you know, you're my boyfriend token. Sure. Um, it actually has a really funny thing where the, the mean girl, Tammy, who is, she's like a mean stuck up girl who thinks she's awesome, but she's actually an idiot. Hmm. Um, and she's walking around with a chain with some guy's retainer on it, <laughs> which is, which is funny. But also Tina, the thing that she wants to give Jimmy Jr., 
is one of her barrettes. And right. at this point, I have to ask, they always make such a big deal out of her barrette and her bangs. Why? What? What is the deal with bangs? I know I sound like Seinfeld there, but I don't understand why this is a noteworthy feature of Tina. Oh, I thought you just meant in general why people made a big deal out of them. I do. That's what I mean. Oh, like, like not just in this movie. because like, oh, I've got this barrette. And like, she's always that barrette is always such an important thing. And her bangs. She's always talking about her bangs. There was an episode where there was um, their counselor, Mr. Frond, had invented a game. Mm-hmm. And Tina was really good at it. And kind of she wanted as a catchphrase whenever she beat someone at the game, she would say that they got banged. Uh. She was going to bang everyone. Why? Okay, yeah, I get the joke, but why are bangs like bangs are the front of your hair? Yeah, it's like why it's regarded as like a hair don't for adult women, right? Like, oh, is it? What are you done? Well, kind. Well, it's like I don't know. (laughs) I don't. I mean, I'm not an adult woman. Yeah, maybe that's why I don't get it. But I don't know. I you know I just had to ask that question. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, all of my drawing background is like anime, right? So yeah, uh, where bangs are just the norm, right? Just just a wall of a cluster of bangs over top the eyebrows, you know, which you can still see um, yeah. to the extent where if somebody doesn't have them, it's like a forehead fetish, you know, like oh, okay. <laughs> where, okay. where char- certain people will glom into that character because of the forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But in real life, yeah, it's a weird sort of taboo for adult women. I guess because it's seen as sort of infantile, you know, mm. that at some point you don't have these uh, this fringe anymore. I don't know. Hmm. I hadn't thought of it. But OK. Hmm. Anyway, the Bob's Burgers movie. I think it's good. Uh, hmm. As a somewhat lapsed Bob's Burgers fan, I like this is all right. It doesn't. It doesn't rely on celebrity guest stars. I don't think there is a new character in this entire movie. Like there's well, there's like weird, like one shot background characters like there's a they go to um, the Carney town. I think it's like Carneyopolis or something like that, where the Carneys at the wharf live. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some of them. One of them's voiced by Paul F. Tompkins. But like all the characters like there's there's the the Belcher family. There's um Jimmy Jr. and his friend Zeke. Uh, um, there's Mr. Fish Odor and his brother Felix and their lawyer Grover, who was in a previous episode. Um, also, I like that they all have names that are like acceptable human names, but also weird ones that you don't hear very often. Hey, yeah. You know, like Micah. Like, hey, yeah. Micah is a totally, you know, it's a totally reasonable name. It's in the Bible, but you don't meet a lot of people named Micah. I find and most people have met one, at least. Mm. But at the same thing, it's like Calvin. Nobody's named Calvin. Felix. Grover. Hmm. Like, I know I know a Calvin. Yeah. I don't remember if I've ever known a Felix. I'm pretty sure I've never known a Grover. Yeah, I think that's one of those names that's kind of gone out of style because it has a very specific... Uh, it brings to mind a very specific Grover Yes. So like no parent would be like, oh, let's name our kid Grover. You know who would? A lot of uh, Chinese people who take uh, English names 
We'll oh, try. We'll yeah. try to pick an English name that people don't generally have. Yeah, I can imagine running into a Chinese person who was named Grover. There's a guy that I work with. I think he might be of Filipino background. Okay, I'm not sure. He's named Nestor, and he's the first Nestor that I've ever met. Oh, you know, <laughs> I work with someone named Nermal. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> the cutest coworker in the world. Oh, I think, I'm not even sure who it is, but I hear the person paged on the intercom, and uh-huh. I I think it's spelled differently in like an Indian name. But, oh, okay. But still, like it's kind of shocking. or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like if you're, if you're just, I imagine the first time you're working there and just, it's fun. It's fun to think of this background character in your <laughs> personal sitcom that you only ever hear like, normal, come to the office, please. <laughs> Actually, the, the one I hadn't, the one... This this had been in my mind for a little while now. I was thinking that I've never met anybody named Brutus or Bluto. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just the cartoon, because like uh, the guy from Animal House is called Bluto, right? Mm. So I guess it's a name. I just haven't heard it ever or never yeah. met anyone. I mean, there's all kinds of names like, you know, uh, former presidential candidate Mitt Romney. Mitt. Yeah, I've never met a Mitt. Mitt. Or actually, you know, there's a lot of politicians where you look at it's like Rand Paul. Who's Rand? I know a cartoon character named Rand. Um, You do? Hmm. Yeah, from uh, Robotech slash Maspeda. I know it's the currency of South Africa. Well, he's got weird children, too, but I think they're cool names like naming your son Tag, except, uh, you know, he's going to be made fun of on the playground. But (laughs) Um, Tag, you're it, Tag. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, that was my fantastic thing. I guess we can move on to today's fantastic thing. Is it ever fantastic? Uh, We're talking about Adventure Time. So a short animation called Adventure Time was made by Pendleton Ward for Nicktoons in 2007. It featured Finn the boy, a boy in shorts and an animal themed cap. I think it's a bear is the animal. Um, Anyway, and his partner, Jake, a dog that can change shape and size. It's a lighthearted romp. They had to rescue Bubblegum Princess, a princess made out of pink chewing gum from the Ice King, a wizard with ice themed powers. The popularity and spunk of the short convinced Cartoon Network and producer Frederator to give Ward and cartoon producer Fred Seibert a chance to adapt it into a regular series. The characters and the setting of the Land of Ooh were expanded. Most pertinently to today's reviews, Princess Bubblegum was given a candy kingdom that included denizens represented by giant pieces of personified candy or pastry. Thematically, Finn and Jake have lighthearted adventures. The Land of Ooh seems full of opportunities for a 12-year-old boy to have afternoon-sized adventures, and it also has about that level of logic. Hmm. Everything and anything can be, including magic and wizards, robots, outer space, demons, and other hellions. Like, imagine a Dungeons & Dragons game played by uncynical children. (laughs) So this show was a big hit, with all ages of viewership, And incredibly, it ran from 2010 
to 2018, additionally capping itself with a special miniseries called Distant Lands. Uh, Matsy's mentioned it a few times. Uh, and spinning off with Fiona and Cake, which are female variants of Finn and Jake. Yeah. So the first episode that we're going to talk about today is Too Young, written by Tom Herpich and Jesse Moynihan in 2011. It begins. At Princess Bubblegum's castle, Finn plays with a de-aged 13-year-old Princess Bubblegum. Her recent reduction in age could be the boy's opportunity to romantically hook up with the princess. He tests her experimental formula that makes someone get cleaner by sweating, but it's incredibly spicy. At any rate, the Earl of Lemongrab arrives on his weird lemon camel. The shrill Earl, with a head of a candy lemon drop, shrieks that the castle is unacceptable! He usurps rulership because Bubblegum, in her younger form, is now too young to rule. She accepts and reveals uh, that the creation of Lemon Grab was one of her earliest experiments. The two kids decide to prank the new ruler to solve the problem. This prank set up a Rube Goldberg machine to, when his alarm clock rings, to unfurl a scroll that declares, you really smell like dog buns. <laughs> and this is another Rube Goldberg machine. They're coming up lately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even hooked up to an alarm clock, as a lot of them seem to be. No, it's it's a pointless machine. Like, they actually set the alarm clock back yes. and and put, like, corks in his ears so he yes. can hear the alarm clock. Yes. So that the... <laughs> so instead of just waking up and seeing it, like, there's a whole thing to unfurl the scroll and tap him on the head so that he'll wake up and see it. Like, it's, it's just... Yeah. It's Princess Bubblegum's idea. Yeah. And... Like, obviously, you know, it's just her wanting to be elaborate and scientific. It's awesome. It's, it seems like an authentic child's idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember reading uh, Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes. He was asked if he was at all like Calvin. He said, no, not really. But he did remember one prank he tried to pull where <laughs> he put a briefcase full of, I think, uh, oh, well, some kind of nut, walnuts, I guess, up in a okay. tree. And his premise was that it would open and <laughs> totally cover somebody in nuts and it would be hilarious. <laughs> and then he just found it like in another season rusted shut. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Lemon Grab, he's upset because somebody said he because a scroll said he really smelled like dog buns. So he retaliates by sending several candy citizens to the dungeon. Uh, a second prank might solve things. Finn and Bubblegum run up to him while wearing ghost sheets, punch him in the gut and shove him to the floor. <laughs> this is the best prank. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't work. So how about some more pranks? Uh, they use that uh, cleanliness potion from earlier. They drop it to spice up his food, and then they drop it in the dirt that he tries to eat to calm his tongue. I just really liked his reaction to the spicy food. Yeah. Is to vomit it into Peppermint Butler's face, yes. stand up, just walk in a straight line and fall out the window. <laughs> Not even jump, just fall. Right, he's wacky uh, in the grab. Uh, anyway, anyway, he's angry, so he locks uh, Finn, Bubblegum, and a whole bunch of candy people in the dungeon. Uh, and actually, I love this uh, little bit here where Bubblegum talks about being 13 versus 18. Yeah. 
that she describes being 13 as blue balooby, but that being 18 is plop dumped and waggles eggs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the prison cell, various candy people offer parts of themselves and Finn licks them so that they bond to Princess Bubblegum in order to increase her candy mass so she can become 18 again. Yeah, that was the pr- that was how she got age regressed is that she in the previous episode, in a previous episode, I should say, mm-hmm. she got shattered and they tried to they were she was frozen and shattered and the uh, medics tried to rebuild her, but there wasn't enough candy. So they could only rebuild her as a 13 year old. You know, I'm still fascinated just thinking, what is Princess Bubblegum like? Which parts of her are gooey? Are parts of her like the hard plastic gum you got in Opeachy? Uh, card packs. There is a webisode. Yeah. Um, there's a little series of them. Um, this is my favorite one. It's called, I think it's called, do you know the muffin man or something like that? Okay. Um, and as part of that, she loses part of her arm. Hmm. And so she runs out and gets on the phone. And while she's on the phone talking to Jake, she uses her other hand to just stretch her arm out and then stretch new fingers out at the end. And she's fine. Huh. Oh, and then there's the episode where she gives uh, Finn needs a piece of her hair. And so she takes it out. And it's just a gooey chunk. It's I remember that. Gum. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder, like, yeah, she he... is. There is a minor spoiler I will yeah. give right now. OK, minor spoiler. Princess Bubblegum is not just a gum golem mutant. Yeah, she is the candy elemental. OK. There are four elements that make up all matter in the universe, and candy is one of them. And she is the candy elemental currently. Uh, why not? Yeah. I'm just wondering if you had like a romantic kind of relationship with her. Could you chew on her arm and then like blow a bubble from her arm? I don't know. Well, I it's guess ask weird. Marceline. Well, even Marceline drinks the color red, right? Is she it's is Princess yeah, Bubblegum partially red? She's pink. Yeah. Kind of red. I don't know, man. She said something about draining the pink from her skin in a song that she sings at some point. Okay. Yeah. Well, at any rate, um, yeah, the last ingredient is a big old love hug from Finn. And that's good enough to turn her 18 again. And this is good enough that the Earl of Lemon Grab departs with her back in charge. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bubblegum goes to the window and says, hey, Earl, you're fired, you butt. Yeah, it's interesting that he respects the laws to that degree. Anyway, unfortunately, the age difference separating Finn and Bubblegum now end any chance of romance. And yeah. by the way, Jake was in this episode, Jake the dog. Uh, Finn calls him on the phone a couple of times to update him on the romantic prospects. So, yeah. Yeah, and he gives some bad advice about being persistent. Like, I I have never been a proponent of if a girl doesn't like you, just try really hard to make her like you. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, every... not, that's not yeah. going to make a healthy relationship. That's all the grandparent stories, right? Like from when Harry met Sally, I think they have that, right? Where it's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then There's I tried an ep- a seventh time. Yeah. yeah. There's an episode of Adventure Time called The Suitor. Yeah. Uh, which features a banana guard guy named Brocco, who is trying really hard to marry Princess Bubblegum. And it just kind of leads to ruin for him. 
Although he does end <laughs> up like Princess Bubblegum ends up building him a robot Princess Bubblegum to be with. So he ends up happy. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. It has a funny moment where Princess um, Peppermint Butler executes some demonic ritual to make Brocco uh, uh, irresistible. Mm-hmm. But it but it comes with a heavy price. Yeah. And it turns Brocco into this weird mutant monster. And Brocco's like, did it work? And Peppermint Butler goes, well, you certainly paid the price. And I want to have your babies. <laughs> Funny, awesome. but I th- I, you're talking about the wrong episode, Matsy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, let me move on. Let me let me get to the episode I need to talk about, which is called You Made Me. Yeah. It's several episodes late, uh, later in the series. In fact, it's in the next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also written by Tom Herbich and Jesse Moynihan. So this one starts off with uh, Finn working with Princess Bubblegum on one of her experiments. She's got a machine that'll let you see the aura of people, hmm. uh, namely Crunchy, who has a rainbow aura. But before they can see Peppermint Butler's aura, which, as I just uh, alluded to, is kind of dark. Yeah. Jake reminds Finn that it's time to go home. But on the way, they pass the Banana Guard's security monitor room where the mo- the guards are looking at something. Ha. Pre- yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I was going to ask, what are these guys? <laughs> the, Banana it, Guards. In the lighting, they look like they're related to uh, Shit Pickle from the Angry Video Game Nerd. Now, they're they're um, they're Princess Bubblegum's guards. Uh, oh, OK, actually, <laughs> there's there's an episode where Finn gets to see one of his past lives long, long ago. Mm-hmm. And the banana guards are there, but they're all like green, unripe bananas. Oh, yeah, yeah it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The banana guards are watching something and pressured by Finn and Jake, they reveal that on one of the security monitors, the Earl of Lemongrab is just standing in Chocoberry's room watching her sleep. And he's been there every night for weeks. Now, Finn and Jake promised that they wouldn't reveal the banana guards weird secret, but they immediately go tell Princess Bubblegum. So this is a good moral for you kids. If someone wants to show you something and you know it's wrong, it's okay to tell a grown-up. Hey. Now, Bubblegum goes to confront the Earl, who complains that he is the Earl of nothing. He has no one to rule, but Princess Bubblegum has excess candies and she must donate. Bubblegum rightly points out that he doesn't get along with people. Why does he want people? And he just... slithers through the window complaining that no one understands him and she's the one who made him this way. Another window exit. Yeah. You know, Hmm? I should should mention you. (laughs) I have it right here. Bubblegum confronts Lemon Grab. Uh, She's got a weird hairstyle in this episode and throughout the early going, I couldn't figure it out. I thought, (laughs) like, what is her head? A rosebud? And yeah, finally you get to see the back of it when she's on the staircase at Lemon Grab's. Or at at, at uh, berry chocolate berries. So anyway, um, yeah, you can see her friend. She's got a braid tied around her head. Yeah, sure. Sometimes, looks weird. sometimes they give her different hairstyles and clothes. Yeah. Um. So where was I? Oh yeah. Um. Princess Bubblegum knows what she needs to do, although she describes it as totally bum slops. Hmm. What she needs to do is get three volunteers from her candy citizens to go move in with Lemon Grab. But the candy people are completely opposed to the point that Mr. Cupcake even breaks his own arm to get out of it. Hmm. However, there are three people 
who are willing to do it. And that's the notorious Pup Gang, Jamaica, Tuffy, and Blumbo. The three no-goodniks have two demands. They want amnesty from all previous transgressions and the big cash money wad. Princess Bubblegum grants them both, and so the three hoodlums go to live with Lemon Grab. Lemon Grab is immediately put off by Blumbo's headphones, and when Blumbo refuses to heed his orders, because he can't hear them, he uses his sound sword on them and puts them in his reconditioning chamber where they will receive four to three units of juice from the electrified floor until they, you know, acquiesce to his rule. Days later, Princess Bubblegum, with Finn and Jake, are watching the security monitors, satisfied that the Earl has not returned for several days, until they spot him spying on uh, Starchy. I almost said Crunchy, but it's Starchy. It's different. (laughs) Yeah. So Bubblegum goes to confront him again, and he explains that the candy people didn't understand his lemon styles, and he prefers this. Well, Princess Bubblegum thinks maybe he doesn't understand their candy styles and attempts to show him by petting and stroking Crunchy. I got it right. Mm. And by the way, um, I know what Crunchy is. Oh, yeah. And like not in terms of candy, but in terms of storyline, like he's not just a candy person. He has a greater story. And (laughs) it's it's revealed way later. Like, I think it might be like the second to last episode of the show. Yeah, okay. And I can't unsee it whenever Crunchy is around. Huh, tainted. Yeah. But anyway, she strokes and makes baby noises at Crunchy to make him happy and suggests that the Earl try it. But he just can't figure it out. He just kind of makes weird noises and slaps the little Crunchy ball, finally declaring that it's gross and shoving it off his lap. He says Princess Bubblegum gave him his lemon heart which tells him the right way to be, and it must be right. But confronted with the toughs, Finn and Jake, he just flees back to his castle. And now Bubblegum is worried about the pup gang, so they all head over to the rescue. At Castle Lemon Grab, Princess Bubblegum gets a plan, and they split up. Finn and Jake go searching for the pup gang, but all they find are a bunch of rooms, each with a single catcher's mitt on a pedestal. Eventually, they find the reconditioning chamber and try to nurse the pup gang back to health. But the Earl comes in and spots them, closes the door, and gives them ten units of juice. Jake stretches to the ceiling to save them, but the Earl is waiting with twelve units when they drop. And then Princess Bubblegum shows up. Lemon Grab once again starts just giving out about how poisonous and ruinous Princess Bubblegum was to him. He fires his sound sword, and Finn heroically braves the electrified floor to burst through the glass wall and jump in front of the sonic blast. In the confusion, Princess Bubblegum points to the door and shows that she has made a second Lemon Grab. Now this is someone that Lemon Grab can understand, and now that he's happy with some uh, company, they agree to pardon the prisoners and let them go on their way. So here we are with a earldom of lemon grab with two lemon grabs, a black one and a white one. Well, in terms of clothes anyway. Yes. And that's where we leave with this episode. I really like lemon grab black sound sword. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? I even like the shape of it. And it's got the little, the two prongs at the front. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
made me wonder if Lemon Grab's White's scepter has any abilities, but I think we'll never find out. Mm, yeah, true. All um, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a it's a good episode. I like I like the catcher's mitt thing. I like I don't I don't understand it, even having seen the later episodes. But no, it, it, it it's never really explained, but it, it's kind of cool. It's yeah. just this fun thing. Hmm. Right. Well, uh, I think we can zoom on to All Your Fault, written by Tom Herpich and Steve Wolfhard. What? Oh. In 2013. New blood. Yeah. Um, okay. Princess Bubblegum is soldering a circuit when a lemon pigeon delivers a message from the lemon grabs that they're. I like that, she, I like that she's soldering it with licorice. Oh, I noticed that she was. <laughs> oh, speaking of not noticing things, I forgot to mention, I went back and checked on that last episode of My Little Pony. Yeah. Um, two things. One, Gummy. Yeah. I I saw that Gummy was there, but I was paying so much attention to Pinky and her husband that I didn't realize that it was Gummy. Hey, yeah. And, and I said two, that was the only... Okay, yeah. yeah well, yeah. I what said it was the say? only pet. I said it was the only pet, but Angel's probably there amongst his many grandchildren or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. And two, uh, I took a closer look at the two ponies that come out of uh, Sugar Cube Corner. Yeah. And it's it's absolutely the Cake Twins. Both of them, eh? Like okay. They, like they have the same hair, like the same blue bow. Um, oh. The one has wings and a pound cake cutie mark. The other is a unicorn with a pumpkin pie cutie mark. So it's, it, okay. it's 100% them. All right. Um, okay, so yes, uh, liquor solder. Yes. And a lemon pigeon delivers a letter with the royal seal, seal of the lemon grabs. It says they're starving and want all her candy. She calls Finn and Jacob, that is from the window. They were busy providing some kind of picnic date for cinnamon bun. Even, even this, just the little detail of how she goes to the window is just to stay in her chair and just kind of backwards roll it to the window in a big arc around the room. Yeah, like I love just it. little little things like that are so cute and fun. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when animators put some real character in it, this kind of you know, without being overt, right? Anyway. Right. Uh, so she commissions the two heroes to deliver candy seeds to Lemon Castle. Later on, they call it Lemon Grab Castle. This is instance they call it Lemon Castle, which I like better. Anyway, yeah. um, when they get inside the castle walls, they're astonished to find that it's full of lemon abominations. Every kind of weird lemon-themed organism is around. And inside the castle proper, they run into a wall-sized face named Lemon John. He directs them to the dungeon to find the lemon grabs. Um, you know, I like that he speaks like the lemon grabs just a little bit. So yeah. he says, you know, like, mm, they've been in there for three weeks, three weeks dungeon. Yeah, I like Lemon John. There's another but thing I'm going to mention about him later. Also, I like I don't know if it's an intentional misdirect, but it got me. When they ask where the dungeon is, Lemon John spits a hole into the wall that leads to, like, some dark corridors. Yeah. All this time, Finn and Jake were standing on a leaf emblem on the floor that I thought for sure was going to open up like a trap door. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, down the dark corridors, the two walk. And in their explorations, they find a room with a giant inert heart. And another room with uh, a liver or a stomach. Stomach, maybe. I think mm. it's got intestine on it. Anyway, um, 
in another room, they find some kidneys. And there's also lots of eerie lemon things around as well. Um, they eventually find the lemon grabs, both completely emaciated. <laughs> they look pretty freaky. Um, yeah. The Earl duo reveals that they found a recipe accidentally left by Princess Bubblegum, and they've used it to make candy life out of all their candy food. The lemon grabs accept the candy seeds and immediately misuse them to make a new useless barfing lemon creature. <laughs> uh, Finn and Jake suggest going to the Candy Kingdom for help, but the evil grabs instead animate their castle. See, it turns out that Lemon John is actually a lemon giant that extends through the whole fort. Um, so he's going to go take all the candy from the Candy Kingdom. The two heroes reason. No, wait, he's he's not even going to do that. Yeah, he's going to go to the Candy Kingdom, take all the candy, bring it to life, and then use that army to go out and get candy to eat. Right. They're totally misguided. <laughs> um, so the two heroes reason that the giant organs they found must belong to Lemon John and destroying his heart will stop him. However, Jake's giant paw, when it smashes, it doesn't break the heart but rather starts it pumping. And that gives Lemon John a conscience. For the greater good, Lemon John self-destructs and reduces himself to millions of lemon candy drops so that the lemon people can eat. Also, I should note that this relocates the uh, lemon, lemon castle too. Because just, it just drops when he yeah, bursts. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, later, Princess Bubblegum literally erases her candy person formula from the lemon grabs brains with a pencil eraser. Jake wonders if they can do the same thing to their hearts as they did for Lemon John, but it turns out that their hearts are fine. They're just like this. Okay, this episode, I've said many, many times that Adventure Time has the best dialogue in television. Yeah. And this episode has a small thing but one of my favorite things ever spoken in Adventure Time. Whoa. So when Lemon John's heart starts pumping again. Yeah. Like he has this beautiful soliloquy of like, if I, if I act, the candy people will suffer. If I don't, the lemon people will suffer. The greater good requires but one action that I dissolve the binds that are the, bonds that compose me and become component to all like it's all so poetic and dramatic okay sure but but before he says all that he stops and goes whoa hold the phone that right. is hilarious i've mentioned this before about this is what i like about adventure time that they talk in a very naturalistic way yeah that, and you said all television and i think you're right like, imagine the writers for The Office. They wouldn't write this. No. It would seem too weird to them. They would question, like, oh, well, the audience understand, you know, if he says hold the phone or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Or they talk even, in a weird voice or, yeah. Even earlier things, like when Bubblegum bursts in on the Earl, he's like, hey, Earl, why are you stalking my peeps? Like, sure. she uses the word peeps. Or or when when they come in with the, the candy seeds, like, we got, we got food for your boys. Like, it's all just so... Oh, yes. <laughs> Finn's hilarious. Yeah. It's just tremendous. Just tremendous. I had to mention that. Hold the phone. It's great. Well, I've read that uh, in, in an interview with uh, Pendleton Ward that he had said he learned a lot 
apparently from working on a cartoon. I've never watched it called The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. And from I've it, he, he <clears throat> yeah, he took this yen for a naturalistic sort of dialogue. I assume that refers to this kind of thing. Well, yeah, like I'm Adventure Time takes place like a thousand years in the future. Yeah. And I like to think that it's just. This is how the English language has evolved in a thousand years. It's just become more like slang, cool guy talk, right? I was going to say to it's evolved to be exactly like it is today. Well, but except that everybody said like even grown oh, yeah. adults and people in power talk like they would on Twitter, you know? Okay, sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Really enjoyable. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay, so now we got to go to a weird one. Hmm. Adventure Time has a little s series of episodes that they do sometimes involving short grables, which are essentially fables, um, which are essentially short five short stories about characters in the show. Uh, they are presented by a guy named Cuber, hmm. who is in the future. This is the the future of Ooh, although he's in space, so it's not exactly mm. uh, Ooh, but this is the future of Adventure Time. Um, in fact, there's an episode where he goes back to Ooh, and you can see like what Ooh is like, you know, a thousand years in the future after the events of Adventure Time, and it's pretty wild. But I anyway, guess he, I guess he's like the Watcher from Marvel Comics, kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Um, and he's voiced by Emo Phillips. And ha. I've started to see some reaction videos of people reacting to Adventure Time or even something like the movie UHF. Okay. And I'm becoming sad that the younger generation doesn't know what Emo Phillips is. It's a weird stand-up. They're like, why does he talk like that? What's going on? It's like, that's that's Emo Phillips' shtick. I don't think there's as many comedians that do that, that just no. come up and go, I got a weird voice, you know? No, like Bobcat Goldthwait, Emo Phillips. I was thinking, I was Stephen watching a Wright. bunch of... I was watching a bunch of Rodney Dangerfield recently. And oh, I'm he's like, weird, too. Nobody yeah. has that kind of shtick either. Oh, from that era, though, everybody did, right? Like, well, every, yeah. Like, everybody, Phil Silvers was talking like this. Everybody who's a character actor wanted yeah. to act like a total lunatic. Yeah. Well, it lives on in animation, so it's fitting that he's here. Yeah. Anyway, the point here is that, uh, I almost said Emo Phillips, Cuber. Hmm. Cuber is ready to give tonight's fables and let you guess the theme, but the viewer, that's you, doesn't want to watch Grables tonight. He'd rather watch him build a birdhouse. And okay. so he does, except that he doesn't know where the door is supposed to go. Aha, but he remembers that the answer to his door problem is in the Grables he was going to show. And so he shows the Grables so he can find the door thing. We start in the treehouse. Grable number one. Jake is hanging out with one of his daughters, Jake Jr. By the way, Jake had five kids. Mm. And two of them are voiced by voice actors from Bob's Burgers. Stretchy rainicorn dogs, I guess. Uh, they all look different, but yes, yeah. they are all rainicorn dog hybrids. Although Jake is not a normal dog. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this one is Jake Jr. Voiced by Kristen Shaw, a.k.a. Louise from Bob's Burgers. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're wondering, the other one from Bob's Burgers is his son, TV, who is voiced hmm. by Dan Mintz, a.k.a. Tina. OK. Uh, yeah. So Jake Jr. is kind of pensive about the future, 
which Jake interprets as her wanting to play Time Machine. <laughs> now, Rainicorn babies mature really quickly mm-hmm. to the point that all of his children are actually more mature adults than Jake is. Okay. And so she's not really interested in playing Time Machine, but she lets him indulge himself. So Finn and Jake do a little delivery role play where a couch cushion serves as the first part of the time machine, prompting Jake Jr. to once again say that she's not a little kid. She's basically 30, which transitions to Princess Bubblegum in Cinnamon Bun's house, saying he's not a kid anymore. He's basically 30 and he can't sleep with a nightlight anymore. Well, Cinnamon Bun is throwing a tantrum. And when she closes the door, it's too dark. He turns on his uh desk lamp but now it's too bright and he shoves it down and then a fire starts and he's happy with the soft light at least until the fire department uh banana guards show up and i love that anytime there's a siren the banana it's just a banana guard going uh now that they've put out the fire it's too dark again and cinnamon bun goes screaming into the night which transitions to the Ice King screaming at the content of his fridge yeah. as he cleans it out. He does a half-ass job, but declares it done, and now it's time for movie night. You get to see the Candy Kingdom burning in the background. <laughs> yeah, he pulls the blind down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, his penguins get to choose which movie they watch, and so he shows the lineup. We got Baby Ballet, Blimby, Who Gots to ABCs, Another instance of that cool talk. Mm. Airplanes taking off and (gasps) season one of basic mortality. Now, that's the hot crime show that everyone's talking about and is especially good for penguins. The Ice King is just so jealous that the penguins have such an awesome choice specifically for them in the lineup. Well, anyway, he lets them vote and Baby Ballet wins. Now, obviously, the Ice King wanted to watch basic mortality, and so he makes a deal. He'll do anything the penguins want if they'll let him watch his show. And what the penguins want is for him to dress up as a baby and do ballet. As he's watching the show, he starts to think it might be too dark. Transition to Cinnamon Bun running again, screaming that it's too dark until he goes into the light of a window and then screams that it's too bright, prompting a lemon to come down and bean him in the eye with the second Earl saying to eat on it. Inside, the two Earls are playing with their little doll son, Lemon Sweets. They've had a good, he's had a good time sitting in his chair. And now the second Earl, the white one, thinks that it's time to go to bed. But the first Earl, the black one, says that he wants to dance. There's a little bit of an argument and the bed wins. But when the second Earl gets up to find a sleeping bonnet, he turns around to find the first Earl just staring at him while he makes Lemon Sweets dance. The second Earl screams that Lemon Sweets really wants to go to bed, but the first Earl shakes his head and declares, We hate you. Hmm. There's another big struggle, and in it, Lemon Sweets is shattered. This prompts the first Earl to scream, Only one! And then eats the second Earl, who screams that it's my end and that goes into mr fox the weird little fox guy (laughs) gloating about his end table and his love seat yeah Yeah. 
He just got back from his cousin City Fox's future palace, but those styles be mad sterile. And he's much happier with his depressing squalor. Like yeah, the rug. I've, I've, I've never <laughs> seen this guy. I don't know if I've ever seen this guy, but I sure like him. Oh, he's awesome. He's so yeah. good. Um, he, this is, this is, this might be like the most screen time he gets until one of the distant land specials. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, bragging about his rug that some bugs or some bums gave his grandpa cause it was so ugly and mm. his, his ugly, ugly bugs that are selling each other houses and the depression in his bed. And it takes years to make that kind of depression. Oh, yes. And and, and a quote. Yeah, that that's people use that quote all the time on the internets. That, <laughs> here's where it's from. Yeah, yeah. And then he sees his subconscious self appear in the depression. The ghostly image gets up and writes him a note saying that he knows where some treasure is buried and he's going to draw a map. But before the map can be completed, Cinnamon Bun bursts in. It's too bright, and he, he he tears off Mr. Fox's one hanging light bulb, and then <laughs> screams that it's too dark, throws his bed across the room, and crashes through the wall. <laughs> the meek and depressingly depressed Mr. Fox can only <laughs> commend Cinnamon Bun on what a great job he did on the, 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 the wall. Right. But then his subconscious self pops up and says, what a jerk. And this goes back to Finn and Jake with Finn saying, what, a jerk to turn on the motor for the time machine. Obviously, Jake Jr. is just in the background reading a book, just paying, you know, token grown up attention to the kids playing. Mm. And then when Jake activates the time machine, red lights and sirens go off all over the place, uh, the place rather. And in the commotion, Cuber stops everything because in the background, there's a birdhouse and he can see where the door goes. Okay. Well, that's the end. Oh, but wait, the viewer, that's you, still wants to see how it ends. And so we get to we, we go back to the Grables and get to see what happens. Turns out it's Bemo's stranger alarm going off because Cinnamon Bun has broken in. Jake Jr. turns the alarm off and scolds Cinnamon Bun, who just starts sobbing about how scared he is of the dark. And Jake finally just gives him a new nightlight. Bemo apologizes for ruining the time machine fun, but Jake Jr. says, ah, it's okay, it was all just make-believe. <laughs> and Finn and Jake go, oh, was it? Then how do you explain tomorrow's newspaper? Which is a piece of printer paper on which they've drawn a newspaper, with the headline being that Jake Jr. is awesome, and a, <laughs> a smaller article about the Candy Kingdom burning down. Hilarious finish, and... Yeah. Uh... Remarkable, these guys who go on real adventures still play make-believe like that. Well, they're humoring the kid, but yes. Also, I also think it's cute that uh, their little play about Jake being a salesperson, where he's wearing a ball cap and uh, uh, Finn answers the door in a wig. That yeah. we come back here, they <laughs> Jake's wearing the wig and Finn's wearing the ball cap. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> notice that, but okay, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's kind of like the dialogue. Same thing with like <laughs> the, the the storyboarding. You know, it's yeah, all yeah, free yeah. and crazy. Uh, um, let's see. Oh, you mentioned that Kristen Shaw is. <laughs> I have this thing. I'm pretty sure I like Kristen Shaw, but then we watched Bob Burgers, Bob's Burgers, and I reconsidered. But uh, hearing her here as Jake Jr., I'm back. I'm back in her camp. I like her. Eh, you might you might have to watch some uh, Gravity Falls to break the tie. 
Oh, that's right. She's uh, Mabel. Yeah. There? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, one other note I have for this. Cinnamon Bun's wetness. He sweats <laughs> a lot. And well, you know, go ahead. I imagine we have a donut problem in our neighborhoods. I find that there's too many darn Tim Hortons and their donuts suck. <laughs> and also uh, there was like a Krispy Kreme donuts for charity thing outside the transit today. Those oh, suck yeah. too. Or they're not special at the very least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've got this real donut, these donut Jones sometimes, and I have to buy these artisanal donuts. Not that I mind, I like a good donut. But yeah. um, Safeway's donuts all have this sweat to them. Safeway's <laughs> yeah. like the, the grocery store. Yeah, they're in the plastic clamshell, and they just have this like sweat on the donuts and on the, on the plastic too. Kind of makes um, me think of Cinnamon Bun here and his sweatiness. Well, here's the thing with Cinnamon Bun, and this is actually going to become relevant uh, in a couple of episodes. Yeah. The deal with Cinnamon Bun is that he's half-baked. Oh. Like, that's why he's so dumb and now he's so drippy. But later, he makes friends with Flame Princess and goes to live in the Fire Kingdom. Yeah. And he becomes more solid and also more intelligent and competent. <laughs> I was thinking... Oh, that's the other thing I was thinking is that he's very lemon-grabby himself and how crazy and loud he is. But also, I recognize, as you told this account... Um, uh, uh, Bubblegum Princess just showing up to this grown donuts home and telling him he can't have a nightlight. It's very lemon grabby too. What a fascist. Yeah. I mean, she tries to justify it by saying that it's, you, you're too old to have a nightlight. It's bumming everyone out. Like, yeah. okay, but why is it bumming everyone out? Like, I don't get it. But also like the thing about Princess Bubblegum, her story arc, she's mm. not really a very nice person. She's not very, very good person. Oh, like okay. Flame Princess actually says that straight up. Like, like, I don't like you. And it's not because of, you know, whatever. It's because you're a bad person. Huh? Um, she she goes through some growth. OK. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. Speaking of growth, we're going too old. Huh. Written by Tom Herpich and Steve Wolfhard again. Um, that's actually something I like is there's, and why I think maybe the show is good is within seasons, it looks like the same writers do all the, the writing. Kind of. Yeah. They, they have the same, maybe like stable of five guys doing the story and then two guys who refine the writing and storyboards. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, Princess Bubblegum and Finn visit the relocated castle lemon grab for a diplomatic dinner. Oh, hold on. What? Did I save the thing? I did. Did you see Finn's signature on his passport? I'm probably I, I didn't make note and I don't remember. OK, I am going to put that in the discord. Ha! It's Ziggy. <laughs> Funny. He just drew a little guy looking over the line that you're supposed to draw to write your signature on. Yeah, cute. Well, you know, as long as he does it that way on everything. Yeah. Finn, speaking of Finn, he reconvinces Jake on his phone that Princess Bubblegum doesn't like him anymore. That's why he's not going to the dinner. But it's really an excuse for him to be alone with that bubblegum hottie. Oh, yeah. Finn is on the rebound here. Um, there's a while that yeah. he was dating Flame Princess, but they broke up. Yes. And by the way, once again, Jake is mostly written out of one of these Lemon Grab episodes. Yeah. Um, well, I think this episode is kind of written to be a parallel of Too Young. Yes. Oh, very much. Um, yeah. 
So the Great Hall is full of the usual lemon weirdos, but especially eye-catching is the arrival of the lemon grabs. The one in black has gotten fat, and the one in white rides a flying saucer as a lower body and has a big bite taken out of his head. <laughs> uh, Bubblegum is concerned that the lemon grabs are no longer identical. It seems as though the white one has become kind, but the black one has gotten even meaner. Unable to bear the cruelty, Princess Bubblegum takes a walk and discovers a lemon boy named Lemon Hope playing a lamentful tune on his harp in the washroom. Did Actually, you notice that the toilet is a juicer? No, I didn't. Yeah, Boy, like the, that really the toilet. Like, you know how, um, you know, those like uh, orange juicers where it's like got this like kind of. Oh, yes, yes. I know yeah, like yeah. that. It's just a toilet, but that's coming out of the bowl. Wow. So it really conjures how they go to the bathroom is they probably have to <laughs> swivel, I guess. <laughs> um, but they're they're candy lemons. I don't know. Are they lemon lemons or are they candy lemons? They have juice. Yeah, I guess whatever the joke calls for, they are. Yeah. Um, anyway, this kid's proper name is actually Bad Lemon No Hope. Um, anyway, the lemon grabs burst in and destroy the harp because they hate its music, and they, abu they abuse the lemon boy. Princess Bubblegum wants to free Lemon Hope, so Finn suggests pulling a prank, speaking of uh, parallel to the Too Young episode. Yeah. And I really like, speaking of this naturalistic stuff, when uh, Finn and Bubblegum high five and Finn creepily rubs his finger against hers. Yeah. And she just goes, <laughs> hey, like, yeah. that's so good. Like, it's yeah, it so is. It is. good. It is. Yeah. Um, so uh, the two chamber baking soda and vinegar into a bowl of pudding it's for lemon grab black. Bacon soda and vinegar. Sure. <laughs> um, so when he mixes it, it makes a really tame science exhibit volcano effect. And this lands them in the dungeon with Lemon Hope, all according to Princess Bubblegum's plan. If Lemon Hope plays Finn's flute, Lemon Grab will come to smash it. Except that the boy is garbage at the flute. But the Lemon Grabs like the bad melody, you know, good to us is bad and bad to us. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, that's good enough to get the electric gate taken down by Lemon Grab White. The angry LG Black fully consumes his twin in vengeance. While they try to escape, Finn talks with Bubblegum and realizes that his hopes for romance are unfounded. Lemon Grab Black uses electric shock to make his subjects attack the escapees, but Lemon Grab White climbs out of his mouth long enough to release the lemons from their shock collars and implores them to let the uh, let Finn, Lemon Hope, and Princess Bubblegum escape. Lemon Grab still remains intact inside Lemon Grab Black. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> I like um, <laughs> more dialogue that I love. Like okay. One of the best ever. In the episode Too Young, when right. the Earl shows up, the pinata, whose name escapes me. I like, mentioned just earlier, but yeah, it's okay. like Fernando or something. Um, okay. Goes like, announcing the arrival of the Earl of Lemongrab. Mm -hmm. 
And so in this one, there's a there's a lemon crier who says announcing the arrival. Oh, Princess Bubba Gur and little boy. I yeah. love it. Announcing the arrival. Oh, Princess Bubba Gur and little boy. It's tremendous. It's so good. Hmm. You know, now that you mention it, we, we've talked before about Dan Hertzfeld's rep. Uh, ripples. I think. Oh, yeah. 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 This show has clearly got a lot of influence from Hertzfeld. Hmm. Yeah. Both the way people act and the uh, the style of the drawing, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> like, if nothing else, Dan Hertzfeld was drawing lumpy space people long ago. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's an yeah. excellent point. Yes. <laughs> Just came very to me. much. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I guess Lemon Hope is uh, living with the princess now, going to a school mm. for gifted children. Hmm. And that brings us to Lemon Hope Part 1. So this opens with a dream sequence where Lemon Hope is there with wings, and he's happily flying around until he hears a knock on a door. He finds a door that he can't open, and it's just incessant pounding and doorbell ringing. And that wakes him up. It's Princess Bubblegum ringing the school bell. And he and Finn rush inside. There, she shows a propaganda film from the Earl of Lemongrab. Basically, the Lemon Earldom has turned into a... Oh my god. It's it's a trap. Totalitarian. Totalitarian uh, society where the citizens are all being punished for helping Lemongrab. I like that it's like uh, he's listing off all the things they have, like order, obedience, harp smashing. We yeah. have it all. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But it, there's a well, the title card. I think that says we have it all right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet he um, didn't edit out the. <laughs> the I know. <laughs> yeah. In the end, uh, as he he says, basically, in conclusion, no one needs to come here, especially Lemon Hope. But then the second Earl, the white one, bursts out of his mouth and implores Lemon Hope to save them. But Lemon Hope isn't paying attention. He was drawing a picture of himself with a cool beard and glasses. So Princess Bubblegum tries something else. She tries giving Lemon Hope two cupcakes and Finn has no cupcakes. So will he share? But no, Lemon Hope, Lemon Hope isn't concerned about other people. He wants both cupcakes They've Hmm. got them and he's got him. So Princess Bubblegum takes him on a field trip to the Lemon Earldom, where they watch a lemon person try to escape, get captured by a flying security lemon and dropped back (laughs) into the uh, Earldom where we hear Lemon Grab screaming that he's going to eat you and then eating noises. And then I did it. Yeah. So Princess Bubblegum is hoping that this will help lemon hope see why it's his responsibility to help the lemon people but lemon hope no he has his freedom and the lemon people had the freedom to choose to help him escape and so now they you know he gets to be free but when princess bubblegum says the trigger word that that is unacceptable that Hmm. causes lemon hope to walk away now living on his own he uh sings and dances about how wonderful and free he is, not really noticing how he's inconveniencing the lives of the wildlife. 
Hmm. He spots a town which is burning. He's not really concerned about the burning. He's more concerned about the sand boat that's going by, apparently having plundered it, which <laughs> looks like it has freedom coming right at you straight up out the diddle do. Right. He climbs onto the boat and stows away in a hold where he is. I love this. He's amused by the limes. Oh, right. Different strokes for different folks or something. Yeah. He, he just looks at this oh, no. green it it take, lemon. It takes, it takes all kinds, I think he says. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He charms rats with his harp into being a blanket for him. But then he's awakened by a struggle with a greed lard. He doesn't see this. He just hears it. And uh, the whole ship capsizes and knocks him out. When he wakes up, he comes out looking for help, but there's no one there. And he's just in this half boat abandoned in the middle of a vast desert. Time goes by. Oh, actually, we see another dream, which shows us that time has gone by. Now he's a horse, but Hmm. his rider, the white Earl, has fallen off asking for help, although Lemon Grab or Lemon Hope rather doesn't pay any attention, but he's getting stuck on spots of gum on the ground, one of which is Princess Bubblegum again, which screams that he's unacceptable. Well, the first Earl pleads for help from buddy, 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 buddy. And then Lemon Hope finally wakes up in terror. This is where we see that time has passed. He's all dried out and emaciated. Uh, He's made the place a home. He's built himself a new harp because the first one got smashed and he's ready to have some juice for lunch or breakfast rather. But the last of the limes has given up the last of its juice. So (laughs) he has to go out. He's his kind of he's starting to realize the predicament he's in, but he's trying to stay positive about freedom to go find water. (laughs) Hmm. There's a weird cloud that's been outside for quite some time. He kind of asks the cr- the cloud if it wants to rain, but freedom not to rain, I guess. And so he ventures off into the desert. When we last see him, he's completely dried out <laughs> to the point that his hair catches fire before he passes out. And that's where this episode ends. Hmm. Those pirates, are they from another episode? Because you don't see them at all. No, I I don't recognize them at all. I think they're specifically for this. Okay. Could be wrong. I love that early sequence where, with the cupcakes. Yeah. For one, the, the bottom drawer of that filing cabinet is full of cupcakes. Yeah, Mark C. Like it's the, yes. it's the drawer Mark C and she opens up and it's full of cupcakes. I love it. But also, Finn's acting in the background. Yeah. When he get like, how he gets excited and crestfall when she says, but Finn has no cupcakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's so great. Yeah. I love his innocence. Um, and just the fact that she dismisses class and he's like, whoop, 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 yeah. he runs out and she's like, but read the next three chapters of a geometry text. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Lemon Hope Part 2. Written by Tom Herpich and Steve Wolfhard, of course. Um, so Lemon Hope lies unconscious in the desert with his hair on fire until a rain cloud puts out the flame. The cloud returns to the jar held by a pink man named Flannel Boxing Day. <laughs> he apparently... Yeah, I wonder, is that like Flannel Boxing Shorts? Portman? Anyway, I don't know. No, it's... No, what it is... Yeah. Is it's two words that have the initials PB, because Flannel is spelled P-H. And oh. it has the same syllables and, like, cadence as Princess Bubblegum. 
flannel. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. Okay. And he apparently was watching Lemon Hope's hard life from his cloud trawler. That's a little vehicle up in the sky. Uh, He offers to take Lemon Hope along with him. Uh, And while they're having a fine time, they attract unwanted attention from a flying greed lard. It's now me not being as familiar with the show. It's kind of a whale with a person's face and two little wings instead of dorsal fins. Yeah, lards are a species like there's a sea lard. There's a like various different types of lards. And they're kind Mm. of like if you picture like a seal or walrus without tusks, it's that it's just a fictional beast that exists in this world. And a greed lard is a variety of them. (laughs) Given its nose, maybe that's what Finn's signature is. (laughs) You might be right. (laughs) So uh, Flannel suggests that Lemon Hope play his flute to chase off the lard. But what it does is it makes it try to rally a herd. So rather, Lemon Hope plays his harp to attract that lard and lure it to crash against a rock pillar. From the falling lard... Lemon Hope sees a lot of dead, falling lemon people. But it turns out what he really saw was gold, or dosh. Greedlards hoard treasure inside of themselves, you see. Lemon Hope just saw lemon peeps out of guilt. Later, the boy has a dream vision of him walking as a chained marionette. He comes across a fat lemon grab eating a talking cow. And he, try, he tries to run, but he can't get away. And that's because a giant him is controlling him through chains like puppet strings. Though Lemon Hope wants to stay as Flannel's apprentice, his heart tells him to go back and help his people. Flannel helps out to the extent that he drops him off near the Lemon Fort. Hmm. I really like uh, Flannel, actually. So there's the, here's the thing about Flannel. Yeah. He has the same initials and cadence in his name as Princess Bubblegum. Yeah. He's he says that he's bound by pacts and treaties, just like Princess Bubblegum did. Mm -hmm. He says certain phrases in German, just like Princess Bubblegum. And during one of the things he says, he mentions something called nanites, which a previous episode has established that very few people know about. And Princess Bubblegum is one of them. So there is a theory, and it's a pretty convincing theory, that Flannel Boxing Day is Princess Bubblegum in disguise, having adopted this persona because she knows that this is how she's going to get through to Lemon Hope. Hmm. Now, the problem with that is the amount of time that she would have had to spend not governing the Candy Kingdom. (laughs) Okay. But it's still a pretty convincing theory. I think it's just poetic coincidence. Yeah. Um, so Lemon Hope ascends a bedsheet rope previously used by a would-be escapee, that one that got eaten. Yeah. Um, on the rampart, he's confronted by Lemon Grab Black, and actually he calls himself Fat Lemon Grab here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, when Lemon Hope makes a move for his harp, remember that Lemon Grab can't stand that noise. The fatty reveals that he's wearing earplugs. Hey, perhaps he got the idea from that prank long ago. <laughs> um, from within, the other lemon grab reaches out of fat lemon grab's mouth uh, and pulls out his earplugs. 
and the Lemon citizens restrain the Earl so that he must listen to the harp music until it makes him explode. <laughs> In another dream state, a Lemon Hope with angelic wings answers the knock at a door. The door leads out to an inky ocean, and the Savior Boy climbs around the ruined spire to a nest of baby birds. Giant ones, I guess. This scene really reminds me of the video game Fez. Yeah. Totally. Hmm. Uh, anyway, when, when he comes to, he finds Finn and Princess Bubblegum. Finn gets his flute back. Anyway, Princess Bubblegum reconstructs the better lemon grab, declaring that when he recovers, he will do better as a solitary entity again. Lemon Hope, with no interest in ruling the lemon people, leaves, even though Princess Bubblegum wrote a swell song for him. At Finn's prompting, she sings it, and it becomes the background to our view of the far future when an older Lemon Hope with wrinkles and futuristic clothes walks a ruined landscape and city, and he finds the ruins of Castle Lemon. Now, I'm going to ask you, is this really Castle Lemon? Because he's got like a bedroom in it. Yes. Well, she said that she made a room for him. Right. Okay. Okay. I was looking. But also like you see things like where the treehouse was, there's now a tree that's grown like tall, tall, tall into the clouds. Mm. The ruined city as he's walking through it, you can see in the background, the candy castle. Like this city was built around the candy kingdom, but there's no one there anymore. Hmm. A little depressing. Yeah. But Um, not for him, I guess. Yeah. As I understand it, um, the weird magical hybrid species that came from Jake and Lady Rainicorn mm-hmm. actually becomes the dominant species on Ooh uh, as time goes by. Um, the well, I don't want to say too much, but yeah, they've they've kind of moved into space. That's kind of weird to call them the dominant species. Like they outcompeted the rest of them and they fell off. You know. Well, I mean. I, a thing, there's a later episode that shows the future of the candy people. Okay. For another day, because now, uh, in the future, uh, Lemon Grab walks the empty halls of Castle Lemon until he finds his old bedroom and climbs into bed and nostalgia. Yeah. These Lemon Hope episodes feel pretty indulgent in a storytelling sense. Yeah, but they do. I like that they stand out from other Adventure Times, so that's fine. Yeah, some some Adventure Times can be, like, weird and poignant like that. Hmm. Uh, speaking of which, how about the mountain? Okay. The mountain. Okay. So this episode starts off with just a glimpse into what daily life is like in Lemon Grab now. All the lemon people have lemon johns to eat. They're all farming more lemon johns. And the Earl is actually a benevolent, benevolent rather, ruler, if a little eccentric. Hmm. He, <laughs> it's lights out time, and all the lemon people just collapse to sleep where they are. Except for the Earl, who is carried to bed, given a catcher's mitt to wear, and a bag of candy on the nightstand. But he's troubled by a weird mural on the ceiling. It depicts soldiers with swords, much like his, and some weird lumpy being and a mountain. And he's particularly disturbed when a crack opens up. Finally, 
He just grabs his bag of candy and leaves the castle. Does he go out the window? No, he goes out the front. He goes out the front door and says, bye. And the guards close the door and then drop back to sleep. Um, Meanwhile, Finn and Jake are hanging out on a hill because they want to watch a celestial event called, I think it's called the tap of the heavens where constellations (laughs) fist bump, which happens once every 20 years. Hmm. But then Jake hears something with his sensitive dog ears. Finn looks around at the telescope and he sees flame princess practicing dance routines with the fully baked cinnamon bun. That kind of weirds him out, but that's not what Jake heard. Turns out they spot the lemon grab heading toward the mountain of Matthew. Now, Jake has heard buku spooku stories about that hmm. mountain and little animation thing that I like here as Finn is considering this. He kind of tugs on his lower lip with a finger like that's hmm. just such a little human thing that somebody would do. Right. All oh, the details are good. I love Finn's little ear lifting up earlier, too. Yeah. Jake's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Jake's ear. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Finn. Finn's kind of messed up from seeing Flame Princess, his ex, remember? And he decides they should go check it out in case Lemon Grab is up to trouble or in trouble. And so they head to the mountain. But there's a weird guardian made of the rocks laying around, which prevents Jake from going in. There's another instance of Jake being cut off from Lemon Grab. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the guardian claims that Jake has no beeswax in the mountain of Matthew, but Finn has way cray beeswax. Hmm. See, even ancient guardians talk like Twitter. Yeah. So Finn heads inside by himself. Now inside, the Earl is walking around and he finds three mirrors and a voice tells him that he needs to choose. The first mirror shows Princess Bubblegum in a field. She's wearing a catcher's mitt and playing catch with another catcher's mitt instead of a ball which is an awesome detail. Mm. She, who is basically Lemongrab's mother, wants to relate to him and play with him. And Lemongrab wants this too. The second mirror, though, shows Lemon Hope ruling the Lemon Earldom and claiming that the original Lemongrab, Lemongrab rather, is unacceptable himself. The third mirror shows the two Lemongrabs playing with Lemon Sweets. So uh, the as as this is going on, um, the Earl knows what's going to happen to Lemon Sweets as the two Earls start struggling. And so he runs oh. into that mirror and ends up jumping into Lemon Sweets mouth. He ends up on some weird, scaly, greasy lemon surface. And it's at this point that I should probably mention that there have been numerous instances at this point in other episodes and this one of people, you know, sometimes they'll give people weird names like like Princess Bubblegum is PB or Peebles or whatever. Okay. And it is not uncommon for people to call Lemon Grab Lemon Grease. Who was it who did it first? Was it one of the uh, pup gang? It was, yes. Okay, yeah. And so this weird scaly yellow surface is covered with grease. He uh, gets his foot stuck and then it moves beneath him and he falls onto the tip. The voice comes back and tells him to taste the grease and it tastes lemony. And then another instance of this great dialogue, look up, man. Hmm. And he looks up and sees that he's hanging from the end of his own nose. 
Now, Finn, meanwhile, has come across the same two mirrors. Oh, actually, he hears I think he hears Lemon grab uh, screaming. And so he heads to those three mirrors. You're right. Three mirrors. And he gets the same uh, choice. Well, he has a choice, but it's not the same for him. Mm. The first mirror shows Flame Princess dancing and Cinnamon Bun is on the ground and he opens himself up and tells Finn to climb inside him and be him to get the girl. Mm. The second mirror shows Jake having just baked a fresh batch of Finn cakes, which are only for Finns, you see. Mm. Now he's kind of looking at these and we go back to the Earl. The Earl decides that he is going to eject his pure essence and he smashes his own head and lemon juice squirts out with his face in it. Again, Finn hears the screams and then the third mirror shows his choice, which is a butterfly. Now, Finn knows that he has had many lives that he's been reincarnated through in his soul's time in Ooh. Mm-hmm. And he knows that his first incarnation on Ooh was a butterfly. Really? Yes. Hmm. I see. I'd felt that strangely lemon grab was uh, really thoughtful about this decision. And I thought that Finn was just impulsive. He just didn't think about it at all. Like he just saw the butterfly and thought, yeah, and jumped on it. No, I guess he, not. He knows that that's his past life. Okay. So he jumps on the butterfly and ends up on a weird scaly pink surface. Turns out it's his own arm. And when he looks down, he sees a little him on his arm. And notably, so a couple of things about Finn here. Well, I'll get to one, another one later, but Finn actually loses uh, the lower half of his right arm a mm. couple of times in the course of Adventure Time. Hmm. He has it right now, but this version of him that he's running along is the stub amputated version. Okay. He goes running and goes through a white hole and his arm grows back and he comes out in a weird robe and he sees Lemon Grab in the same robe and another being made of like white rocks or something. Now, Finn assumes that this is Matthew and pulls out his sword. Finn goes through a number of different swords over the course of Adventure Time. And this sword is made from another Finn from an alternate timeline. It's a Finn Hmm. sword. Hmm. Now, Finn is ready to fight because he interpreted what Jake said about the mountain as negative. But when Matthew says to ask himself if that seems right... He asks the sword and the sword shakes its head. So now Finn is a little more at ease. Matthew uh, explains that he is kind of a composite of souls of various beings who have joined him, given up their consciousness to be one with him. And it seems like Lemon Grab is considering doing the same thing. But he has another option. He pulls out the Lemon John candies and he wonders if these Lemon Johns can destroy Matthew. I love Hmm. Finn's reaction here. Like, it's mm-hmm. not panicked or anything. It's the, just this mature, like, oh, boy. Like, he knows what's going to happen now. Yeah. And so he runs into the, okay, wait, Lemon Grab, hold up. Lemon Grab says a bunch of nonsense and throws the Lemon Johns into Matthew's mouth, which does destroy Matthew, turning him back into a bunch of guys in white robes. Hmm. The white, the white robed guys are all panicked at having their individuality back. One of them even jumps back into the abyss. Hmm. They swarm Lemon Grab and Finn saves him. 
Finn and Lemongrab burst out of the cave and destroy the Guardian that was keeping Jake out. And then Finn and Jake give Lemongrab a ride home where he lends, ends up back in his bed. Looking at that mural, he chews up a lemon john and spits it in to fill the crack and declares, yo, yo, it's grease. Hey. And that's pretty much the end of the Earl of Lemongrab's story. He shows up again in a non-canon episode and he has he shows up in the last episode, but everybody does. Right. You know, it's weird that you say Matthew's made of white rocks. Hmm. It's hard to tell with this art style sometimes, I guess. I would have said he was like a cloud. He kind of is. But like what I am basing this on is the fact that the Guardian looks the same and yeah. forms itself out of rocks that come up from the ground. Hmm. So you could be right. Yes. I mean, he's made of the souls of all these beings, but he's yeah, just some lumpy, cloudy thing. End boss Matthew kind of looks like he's formed a diaper, too. <laughs> yes, he does. He's got like a leg hole kind of. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So hmm. um, that's pretty much it for Lemon Grab. Uh, do we have anything else that we want to discuss? OK, uh, well, I'd seen Lemon Grab before, like as as a watcher of largely random collections of episodes, most of them early on. Yeah. And he was just sort of loud. And I, you know, I figured, I don't know, this, this yeah. show is full of a lot of kind of random characters. Yeah. Um. Now, Adventure Time has indirectly spawned a lot of shows like it. Yes. Because it's popular and also because its creative talent moved on to work on other things. Yeah. Uh, and the reason most of them don't work for me is that everyone is loud and obnoxious on these shows. Yeah. But they're all like Lemon Grab. But on Adventure Time, there's a spectrum of personalities. And a lot of them are quirky and some of them are downright pleasant. Like Finn, you know, and like yeah. flannel. Yeah. Um, so I think it really works. Lemon Grab works in this context because he plays off of other kinds of people. Whereas he's, a lot of these other shows are all Lemon Grab and all Lumpy Space Princess. Yeah, he's kind of alone. Like he's he's the only character who is this shrill and annoying. But it makes sense yeah. for a lemon to be all sour and shrill like that. I guess it's it's not too overbearing. Also, um, hmm? he's he's probably your favorite Royland. He is. Yeah. So the Earl of Lemon Grab is voiced by Justin Royland uh, doing mm. one of the two voices he's capable of doing. In this case, the Morty voice. <laughs> uh, Backhanded compliments coming. <laughs> all the lemon beings are voiced by Justin Royland. Yes. Um, some of them with, you know, pitched up or down or sped up or down or whatever. Okay. But this is why. I always say that Justin Roiland is not a good voice actor because oh. he can do it when he has huh. a director. Like when somebody is restraining him and telling him how to act, he can do it. Mm. But on Rick and Morty, when he's just doing it by himself and he has, you know, he is in charge and he has nobody to rein him in. He's just terrible. Like he's a bad, <laughs> his voices are fine. Like, you know, it's a great skill to have a voice this unique. Okay. But his acting is just so bad. He just stammers and stutters and it just sounds so out of place in Rick and Morty compared to all the other characters. But then you see something like this where somebody is holding his hand and telling him not to just say the lines, be a voice actor properly, and he can do it. 
Hmm. And that's what frustrates me about him so much is that he has a unique voice that has a place in cartoons, but he needs somebody controlling him because if he does it himself, it falls apart. Well, just like the character of Lemon Grab. Yeah. It, wor it works in the context of Adventure Time. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about or shall we move well, on to next week? Well, a few things. Um, there's almost no Jake in this <laughs> series of episodes. Yeah. And he's my favorite character. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's still fine. I enjoy it. And the other thing is that, uh, strangely, this saga of Lemon Grab is also in kind of overview of Finn's love life. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Although yeah. we missed the last part of it. Well, I guess. Hmm. He gets he. He doesn't get a girlfriend per se, but he does get there is another girl that he's kind of got this weird, like unresolved romance with. Sure. OK. Yeah. Hmm. All yeah. right. Well, I guess that'll be a future animation celery. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Completely yeah. Finn's love life. Yeah. Why not? Um, Maybe Valentine's Day next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, next week. Well, in a weird way. OK, next week's theme is food. And so is this one in a weird way. Well, um, I mean, in the sense that much of Adventure Time takes place in a candy kingdom. I think it'll be funny if you just recommend another episode of Adventure Time for this. Uh, OK, uh, Matsy, what I got uh, for you is from a series, an anime series called Silver Spoon. Oh, I've never heard of it. Yeah, let me make sure I got the episode title right here. It's it's the fourth episode, and I believe it's called Hachiken Makes Pizza. All right. Now Why I not? think I think you can watch this on its own, but maybe maybe in the same way that I kind of watched some of this semi-blind. You could watch episode one afterwards if you're really lost and thinking like, what are all these relationships? I don't understand any of this. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Silver Spoon episode four. Okay, good to know. Uh, for me, I have done like you did with Steven Universe and made a composite episode out of two half-sodes. Hmm, will it be uh, all the right ingredients? Oh, well, I hope so. Okay. Uh, the ingredients involve the Mr. Men. Right on. We're going to watch the Mr. Men show. And two segments from different episodes. The first one is called Food. And the second one is called Lunch. Can't get much more foodie than that. Hilarious. All right. <laughs> well, yeah. that'll be delicious. In the meanwhile, why don't you guys find us on Twitter and tell us what to watch? what to talk about, what theme you want to see on the show. I am at DrabSwatch. I'm at AC Matsy. Share with your friends. Tell us what you think of Adventure Time. Do you like its cool dialogue? And now, uh, what time is it, Micah? It's time for the Celery Stalker slogan. Time for the Celery Stalker slogan. Awake! Avast! Hold tight your buns! If buns you do hold dear, for time has come to wake and run and not give way to 